Well, so far in this uh, study of Habakkuk, we've come to the Lord, uh, we've seen the Lord, uh, Habakkuk come to the Lord in prayer, and he had a big complaint. He was upset with God. He says to God, you've, you've abandoned me, it seems. Why do I have to look at all this mess going on in the world around me? And why do you let the wicked win? But God responded with affirmations. He was still at work. He would use whatever means he had at his disposal to accomplish his purposes, and he would move in his perfect timing. But he was also going to destroy the strongholds that the people of God had allowed to build in their own lives. And in response to that answer, we saw last week Habakkuk made three confessions. He said, God, your vision is clearer than mine. Your goodness is better than mine, and your desire for me is to follow, to worship you alone. And the people of God living in Judah, in Benjamin, the southern kingdom, were living with a form of godliness, but they were denying the power of God in their lives. They were trusting in security and safety instead of God. If you remember at the end of last week's message, we were in chapter 2, verse 1, which is where we're going to pick up today, Habakkuk 2.1. And Habakkuk had made a significant decision in response. He says, I'm going to focus on the Lord. I'm going to worship God in the waiting. I'm going to be right here and to see what God has next. And out of that comes his confession. And, and the overarching theme of our message today is dealing with the issue of waiting. To wait for God. To wait for God to move in his time, to move in his way. Yet really, how many of us relish waiting? We're not good at that, are we? We don't like waiting. We want answers when? Now. We want our desires filled when? Now. We want everything taken care of right now. And we don't like waiting really for, well, anything. But when it comes to God, sometimes waiting is exactly what he calls his people to do. And if we will wait on the Lord, he will bring his vision to us. So what I want to show you this morning in this waiting is that there are five things about uh, godly vision in the waiting. What do we do in this waiting time? When we're waiting to see what God's going to do, waiting to see where it's going to go next, what's going to happen? Why is this, why are we having to see such much, such much, so much evil in the world? Why are we having to see so much struggle in the world? Why is there such ugliness? Let's pick up in verse one. The prophet says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning what he will answer, what I will answer concerning the complaint. Look, first thing I want you to notice is this godly vision comes to an open heart. To an open heart. So we begin this morning, we come back to verse one where we see the action plan of the prophet. He's placed, placed himself at a watchtower, a watch post up on a tower overlooking the city to see what God would, can, would do. I can imagine him sitting up in a tower somewhere on the city wall or somewhere within the city up at a high place where he could see what's going on. I can imagine him looking in this high point over the city of God. He sees the Kidron Valley rising to form the Mount of Olives to the east. He sees the hills of Mount Scopus to the, to the north as they rise towards uh, uh, the northern parts of the country. He can see the roads heading north to Damascus, south to Egypt, east to Jericho, and west to Joppa. But his view would have been dominated by one thing. A massive temple complex right in the middle of the city. Because this was the place that God's people in that day would meet God. 
This is where you would come to worship God. And so if you remember, Habakkuk has confessed the superiority of God. He goes, God, I know your ways are better than my ways. I don't understand it. I don't understand why you're going to do what you're going to do, but I, I trust that. And so now he says, God, now will you show me? Show me what you're going to do. His desire is for God to be God again among the people. I think it's even a desire for God to be God in his life again. So as he stands in the tower, he has this open heart waiting. He says, God, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? I'm ready. I'm waiting. I have an open heart. He wants God to move. But most of all, he wants to hear from God. What will God do? What will God say? See, a godly vision comes to the hearts of people who are open to God. And Habakkuk opens his heart here and says, I'm ready. Second, we get the answers starting. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. A godly vision is proudly and plainly proclaimed. Now, we read this passage and we got to go, what? And the world is he talking about here? Write the vision, make it plain on tablets. So Habakkuk here is standing on the tower waiting for God. The vision has been, uh, been revealed, and now he has to proclaim it. God's first instruction is to do something here that is strange to you and me. He's to write the vision. You're going, so did he pull out his computer and start? No. Did he pull out a tablet and start writing on paper? No. How did he make this plain? In that day, what they would do when a prophet would have a vision, there would be large walls or tablets around the uh, temple complex that were usually made of some kind of thick um, wax. And they would go up and engrave the vision on these walls. And you're going, that's weird. Well, yeah, they couldn't text it to you. You know, they had to deal with it some way. But they would put it up there, not in little letters, but they'd put it up there in big letters. Think cheerleader letters. You know, I'm talking about the big stuff up there where you can really see it. And the idea is so you can run by and read it at the same time. And the point he's trying to help them understand is that this vision has to be plainly proclaimed, has to be very clearly revealed and clearly spelled out so that people can see it and begin to understand it. Habakkuk's vision was not a personal one revealed just for him. It was intended to be shared, to be spoken about. Not private, but to be spoken and shared. So first of all, you've got to make it plainly proclaimed. The next part of this is verse 3. God's vision has, catch this, an appointed time. This word shows up again, wait. For still the vision, what? Awaits. It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it, was, if it seems slow, what? Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. A third aspect of God's vision, it has an appointed time. Habakkuk, like many of us, want God to do what? Intervene when? Right now. God, do something right now. God, move right now. God, you've got to do... Whoa. Be careful. God had told the prophet the day was coming when the wicked, evil Chaldeans are going to sweep across the land. They're going to bring judgment on the land. The city was going to be destroyed. People were going to be carried into captivity. It was going to be an ugly season. What a great vision, huh? Death, destruction, pain. What Habakkuk needed to know was this would happen, and it would happen according to God's appointed time. 
They needed to buckle up and get ready. They needed to get ready because the hard days were going to come. And while they didn't really understand why God was going to allow this or cause this outcome, it was how God was going to work. What they didn't understand and what they really would never grasp is this. God was at work in a bigger way than they could have ever begun to conceive in their minds. There was going to come a day when they would be destroyed and carried into captivity. But after 70 years, they would come back. They would begin to rebuild the city. would rebuild the temple. They would rebuild their lives and their society. And out of that time period would come Messiah. God was at work in this, even though they didn't get it, even though they didn't understand it. The appointed time for God's fullness of his plan was still in the future. Part of the plan was to wait. He has a time for this. God was working to bring about redemption, and nothing could stop this happening. Fourth, godly vision moves in faith. It moves in faith. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but... The righteous shall what? Live by his faith. That sounds like the New Testament, doesn't it? The righteous shall live by faith, by his faith. In many ways, the people of God before this time really didn't walk in faith. They walked in sight. What do you mean? Their whole relationship was centered on a facility, on a location. Initially the tabernacle, eventually the temple. God was at that place. There was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. God's presence was there. If you wanted to meet with God, you could go and be there. If you were one uh, of, of the men, you could get really close. And if you were a high priest, you could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But there was a location. You could pinpoint it right there. He's right there. They had a ritualistic, structured form of religion. And they had been told in order to be close to God, they had been chosen to be his people. And all they had to do was fulfill rituals and sacrifices, follow the rules, and they would have a good life. And you know what that did for them? And the result of them being puffed up with arrogance, it says, we are the chosen people of God. We are the special ones. And while they may have acted moral, the presence of God was often very far from them. But God reveals a better way to fulfill the vision. He says, do it by faith. Walk by faith. In in a precursor to the truths of the New Testament, God tells the ancient prophet this, the righteous will what? Live by his faith. They will walk by their faith. As God's people chosen to listen to God's vision and wait for God to move, we are able to walk by faith. And then fifth... Godly vision then rejects worldliness. I shared with y'all last week or two weeks ago the struggles of trying to prepare and write messages from this unusual little book. Again, we find a phrase that's kind of strange. Uh, a temperance movement adherent would take this as an anti-alcohol phrase, but I don't think that's really the point. Look at verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all people. The word wine is, this is our shattering, is wine. But it means more than just a drink. It refers to a form of wealth. 
wine, I'm not a wine drinker, uh, wine, but wine is not an easy product to produce. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes fermentation, it takes uh, waiting. So there's value in that. And what he's trying to help these people understand is they don't need to buy into the things of the world, the ways of the world, the worldliness that so easily besets us, that gets a hold of us. He says, don't buy this. And he makes four statements here about living outside of God's plan and purpose. I didn't write it in the outline for you, but here they are. First, wine or wealth is a traitor. You're going, what? The big idea is that wealth for the sake of wealth is often just a few steps from what? Being gone. So who do we trust in? We trust in God. Second, arrogance leads to a restless life. When we lead a life of arrogance, we we really reveal a lack of trust in God and belief in God and, and, and faith in God. And not trusting God often leads us to a situation where we're never really content, not really happy. We haven't figured it out. The right way is to follow him. Third, greed is a wide path to Sheol or to hell. Greed run amok. We find ourselves living way or far from God's presence, not close to God. Things of this world will one day fade, but God remains. And then a path forth, a path outside of God's perfect plan gains the world but loses the soul. Waiting for God takes us in a new direction, a different focus, finding a path of contentment, seeing where he is. Now what do we do with this? You go, well that was an interesting few verses. There's about three things I want you to see from this that I think we need to glean for our day. If, if you're going to hear God, if you're going to hear from God, if you're really going to hear what he has for us, you've got to have a what? An open heart. An open heart is required if we're going to hear God. You say, well, I want to hear from God, but I don't really want to listen. I, I, I want to hear what he has to say, but I'm not going to do it. He, I don't think he shares with us much when we don't have our open hearts and minds ready to go forward and not just hear it, but listen to it and let it... Fill our souls. It's so easy, isn't it, to live a life focused on what we want. This is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I want to go. In fact, that's what the people of Judah had been doing. They go, well, we don't really want to worship God fully. We want to have these other gods too. We want to have these activities, but we want to have this as well. In fact, the people of Judah had been splitting their attention between God and other things. Hmm. Sound familiar? I find myself doing that at times. I bet you do too. The path of doing this, of not focusing on the heart of God, was deadly as we allow other things take the place of God. As we saw last week, the people whom God had chosen to be a people unto himself were much more concerned with what? Safety and security. They were more worth with easy life and no hardships. They were more concerned in what they got in this life. Man, I tell you what, that's a common temptation for you and me today, isn't it? Get a little headache, what do we do? Run to the medicine cabinet. Get a little pain, what do we do? Run to the doctor. Get a little hungry, run to the store. You're going, is he saying we should never go to the doctor or take medicine or eat? No, that's not what I'm saying. But we are so easily distracted away from the things of God to the things that are temporal, and we miss it. 
In response to a question from people about his identity, Jesus tells those who would listen this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what? Follow me. I'd be telling an untruth if I told you I always follow God's will for my life. Sometimes I hear what he has and I go, it ain't going to happen. I don't say it out loud, except in a sermon. But in my heart, I go, "Uh uh-uh. But there's something in the heart and mind of a person who really knows Jesus that even when we try to rebel, there's this uneasiness in our heart that says, you can't do that, you can't go there. Not unlike a sheep in a pasture, those who know Jesus hear his voice and then follow his voice. Surely we need to be people striving to hear God speak in his word through other believers, through circumstances, through trials, through victories, so he can lead us where he wants us to be. An open heart is absolutely required if we're going to hear from God. Second, God's timing is always perfect. As the people of God heard these words from God, they were faced with a significant dilemma. They have been told that God is going to take them into captivity. He's going to take them through destruction. There are going to be people who die. They're going to spend 70 years living away from God's promised land. And that was God's plan. What? See, they could simply follow God wherever he was leading according to his time, or they could become frustrated with his time and his plan. God was at work in their lives. What was he doing through this time? I've already given you an allusion to it earlier. He was preparing the nation for a time and the world for a time when Messiah would be revealed. See, before this time, there really wasn't much uh, of a common language around the world. But over the next couple hundred years, you know what language developed and rose? Greek did. It became the, the language of culture and conversation through Alexander and his expansions. And God's people, being in the midst of that, began to learn a language that wasn't their language, but a language that was able to be used to communicate the gospel literally around the world. And then the time came when Messiah was born. And the world was ready, his time. And they were part of that. That day for them would not come for about 600 years later. Can I tell you something? Not a one of these people lived long enough to see it happen. But God's timing was right. Not one of them lived until the fulfillment of God's promise came, but it did not negate the promise. I was reminded as I was preparing of a, of a story of a, of a, a fella in the 19th century, you're going, well, that's a long time ago. Well, not as long as ago as Habakkuk, but a long time ago. And he was just a poor young boy living in a poor city in tenements with very little support from his family. And one day a, a man came by and, and invited him to a small group Bible study, Sunday school, and invited him to come and hear the gospel. And out of that came a great evangelist who shared the gospel around the world. Sometimes we don't know the long-term effects of our faithfulness. I can imagine that man thinking, why am I here here with these nasty, dirty children? Tell them about Jesus. Nobody will remember my name. But it's not about us, is it? 
It's about God. God's timing is not like ours. Peter reminded the readers of his letter, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, or toward you on your account, not wishing that any would perish, but all would reach repentance. Friends, we are a moment. He is eternal. Our days are over, but his plan goes on. God knows the big picture and he's working for the good of humanity. And we may not understand his timing, but we can be absolutely certain it's perfect because it's his. A third thought coming from this strange little passage. Walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. That's not something unique to Habakkuk, is it? That's something all the way through Scripture. We're supposed to call, we're called to live and walk by faith, not by sight. For the people of Judah, this meant they were going to take a step of faith, knowing that God knew what he was doing, even in the midst of the utter chaos that was reigning all around them. I don't know about you, but some days I wonder if we're not in the same environment with all the chaos around us. For the people of of Judah, here's what it meant. They were going to take a step of faith, believing God knew exactly what he was doing, even when it seemed like chaos was reigning. You know what this means for us? We take a step of faith, believing God knows what he's doing, even when it seems like, y'all with me? Utter chaos all around us. You know, those of us who like to plan every detail of their lives, this is a real struggle because that means trusting God more than my plan. But even for those of you um, who maybe like to fly by the seat of your pants, um, you'll have to trust somebody beside yourself too. Because our struggle is we want to get our way. Our inborn sinful desire is to get our way, to get what we want. And we like to make our own choices in life. In fact, we would almost say we're entitled to our own choices. Paul told the Corinthian church, living in a very similar pagan setting to our day today, we walk by faith, not by sight. That means placing our full trust in God. God, you take us where you want to go. You take us where you want to lead us. And for the people of Habakkuk's day, it meant 70 years of captivity. For us, I don't know what it means. But I'll tell you this, if God's leading us, that's where I want to go. I don't want to go anywhere else. So keep the faith. Keep following Jesus. Don't walk away from him. Listen to his voice. Maybe you're here today and you've never heard his voice. You need to do that. Maybe you're here today and you need to connect to a local church so you can be a part of something bigger than yourself. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Maybe you need to declare your faith in Christ. You've already done it, but you need to make it clearer to the world by telling this amazing group of people what you've done. What's your next step? We want to give you that opportunity. Father God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your blessings. And we thank you for your work in our lives. Father, we thank you that your ways are not our ways, that your thoughts are not our thoughts, that you're so much higher than we are, so much more wise. 
We just want to listen to your voice. And then God takes steps of faith. I pray for those who maybe need to make some type of decision this morning. We pray that you'd give them that freedom to do so. Father, for others who need to make a decision just sitting right there in the seat to trust you, help them to do that as well. In Jesus' name we pray.